All right. Good evening. It's good to be with you tonight. Good crowd tonight. We're grateful that you're back in the house of the Lord. I want you to take your Bibles tonight, please, and turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 41. And we're going to look down to verse number 48. If I was going to entitle this message tonight, we would entitle it, The Passions of Jesus in Passion Week. The Passions of Jesus in Passion Week. Now, the thing I want you to do is just keep in mind just a little bit about what Jesus Christ is facing. We talked about last week when we preached on the triumphal entry that that happened on Sunday before Jesus would be crucified on Friday. And so somewhere in this week, then, this is beginning to happen. And again, imagine with yourself, what would be going through your mind? I asked you this this morning. What would be going on in your mind if you were facing a death and perhaps even knew how you are going to die, but you knew the date and time of your death? What would be going on? How would you spend your last hours on earth? That's what makes Passion Week and the accounts that we have in the Gospel so interesting in Jesus Christ is that very, very fact. And we see two distinct passions tonight as we look at these Scriptures And both of them I find pretty surprising about, well, for us, but certainly not for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first one I entitled, tying in this morning's message almost unintentionally, was spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. Now, remember, Jesus rode the colt into what city last week? Jerusalem. Okay, say Jerusalem. Okay, he's in the place of his death. And here's what the Bible says. Now, as he drew near... He saw the city. Now, again, it's not like he was in New York and saw the skyline. It wasn't like he saw the buildings. You know, a lot of people say, well, I've seen New York. When Jesus said he saw Jerusalem, it went beyond buildings and walls and he saw the people. Because that's what Jesus was about. You know, churches need not be enamored with buildings. The, the church is not a building. Whether we worship in this beautiful sanctuary or a very practical building that holds more people down the road, it does not matter because the church is not a building. The church is a movement. It is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ moving forward and functioning and advancing the kingdom of God in this world today. So Jesus didn't see buildings. He didn't see palaces. Frankly, He probably didn't see synagogues. He saw People, because people was at the depth of his heart. So he saw this city as he drew near, and the Bible says he wept over it. Now, I didn't do an exhaustive research, but from the best I can tell, there are two accounts where Jesus Christ wept. And the first was, of course, at the death of his uh, brother, his friend, Lazarus, in John chapter 11. And I went and opened my Bibles there because I wanted to read it to you, uh, starting verse number, well, let's see, verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and called, and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And since she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was at the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her, when they saw Mary, rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was, and you can just sense the emotion of this moment, and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, in the eyes of Mary, Jesus was late. But let me tell you, God's never late. He may not be early, but he's never late. He's always just on time. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And therefore, now watch, verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, I love this, he groaned in his spirit 
and was troubled. It just grieved the heart of Jesus when he saw the grief that these people were going through. And that was the basis for 34 and 35. He says, where have you laid them? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And the Bible says the shortest verse in the Bible in the English part of it, Jesus wept. Now, please understand, Jesus did not weep for Lazarus. In just a few moments, he's coming hopping out of the grave. It was not the death of Lazarus that grieved Jesus. It was the brokenness, the brokenheartedness of the people. It simply broke his heart to see people with broken hearts. And that is because he is God. And brothers and sisters, if somehow we can get there, if somehow we can get to the point where we are broken over the brokenhearted people that we see around us, mostly especially the lost people, it will radically change how we using the Maya story, do business for God's kingdom. When we become broken for others, then we are close to being broken for God. So the one time that Jesus wept, He saw death and destruction. He saw how it impacted people, and He wept. And He wept. Here we see Jesus weeping again. And He's weeping here once again because He sees the despair of the people. He sees their lostness. And here's how He describes it, verse 42, saying... If you, speaking collectively of the people in Jerusalem, the Israelite, the Israelite people, the Jews, if you had known... Now, pause. Of all the people, what he's fixing to say, they should have known. Sometimes people will say, I didn't know better. I didn't know better. Sometimes, if you've been driving down the road, and, and frankly, I can say this hasn't happened to me, but sometimes and you're, you're driving along and, and a cop pulls you over and, and you say, did you realize you were doing 55 and a 45? And you can honestly say, I didn't, officer. I never saw a sign with a posted speed limit. All right? You want to say, didn't know. Jesus says of everyone, of all the people, what he's fixing to say, these Jews should have known. What should they have known? Even you... Especially in this your day. He is saying, the day you've waited for. Every Jewish man and every Jewish woman and every Jewish child was taught to look for what day? The day the Messiah would come. And when He came, born as they did not expect, living as they did not expect, not in royal robes, but in clothed in humility, they totally missed it. It was their day, and they missed it. It was the bride forgetting to show up for her own wedding. They missed it. Especially in this your day. The things that make for your peace. The things. He could see His coming was from God that peace would come. Not necessarily peace from Rome. You're going to see judgment in just a moment from Rome, but not that kind. Man, Jesus Christ brought peace, came to bring peace between God and man. Come on, amen? That's what it's about. Do you understand? We're going to reverse. Listen, when you are friends with the world, you are an enemy of God. And He came that you could have peace with God. You've got peace with God, and you have peace of God in your life. He said, man, I've come and to make the things that make for your peace, the thing that should rock your world in a wonderfully deep way, and you were totally blind to them, you totally missed them. He said, but now they're hidden from your eyes. And Benny, you know what's sad about that? This is blindness by choice. 
Often we have a tendency to think when we see hidden from their eyes like somehow God masked it. Uh-uh. I'll tell you what masked it. Their religion, their comfort zone, their way of life. They were comfortable where they were with what they had and they missed God's messenger, His Son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blindness by choice. How often are... Now, now, how often are we blind by choice? How blind are we to this book? How, how blind are we to this book? This is... We often call this the rule book, but that's just a, the wrong connotation. This is the book of life. This, this is how God says... This is God's revelation of Himself from Genesis to Revelation... God fully revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ, and in printed form, it's God's revelation in itself. And this is how Christians do life. Abundantly. Come on. Abundantly. This is not a bunch of thou shalt nots for the sake of thou shalt not. God says, listen, I created you, and I know how you can live abundantly. Read the book. How often have we hidden our own self? How long have we missed truth because of ignorance? And the reason we have the ignorance is because we never even read the book. I'm going to a place next week where there's not many people who have access to the Word of God. There is one, I think, in the Maniki language, in Bamra, there's a New Testament written. I believe there is. But most of them cannot even read it because they don't know how to read. We live in a country where we don't have one translation but many translations. And yet we go from week to week to week to week not reading the Word of God. Let me make something real clear. Are you listening? It is not enough for whoever the teacher is to stand behind this pulpit and feed you. It is not enough. You will starve to death spiritually if this is all you get. You have got to get into the Word of God. Of God. If it means getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you need to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. If it means turn off your television at night, then turn off your television. You have got to get into the Word of God for yourself on a consistent basis and allow it to get poured into your life so it can change you and help you do life. Can I have an amen on that? I'm telling you guys, Dwayne, well, how often? Seven days a week. Can't do seven, do six. Can't do six, do five. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. We are living in challenging times. And now's the time that we don't need the Word of God hidden from us. We don't need the things hidden from us. We need for them to be revealed. And God reveals Himself through His Word. Now listen to this. Here's, here's the heartbreaker of it all. Judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. Here's what He says. For days are going to come. Upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment around you. They will surround you and close you in on every side. They will level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. It happened in A.D. 70. Just like Jesus said. There was a time coming 
because they refused as a nation to refuse to recognize the Messiah that God's judgment came upon the nation of Israel. And they suffered loss. But here's the deal. They need not have suffered total loss. Total loss is the person who dies without Jesus Christ. That's a good place for an amen. Total loss is the person who dies without Jesus Christ. Total gain is the person who dies with Jesus Christ. That's all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. It should, folks, it should break our hearts that we live in a nation with 258 million people. I keep hearing this number and I still can't get my hands around it because I can't believe it, that America is the fourth most lost nation in the world. Other countries send missionaries to America. The land that supposedly was founded on Christian, was founded on Christian principles and now supposedly calls itself a Christian nation. It should break off. It should. You knew it was coming. It should, Mary, it should motivate us to give. I don't know what you think about Annie Armstrong. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it doesn't have the allure and the excitement of Africa or China or Burma. But I remind you that those monies are set aside for the North American continent. And as, those, as, our, as our mission team went to Montreal in a country where like 1.5%, 2% are Christian. This country, the fourth largest. New Mexico, largely Catholic and largely lost. We should be motivated to give to, to Annie Armstrong like never, never before. I pray that you'll say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? And like we preached a couple weeks, or last week, man, when it comes to, to missions, North America's a mission field. Come on now, y'all who say we go to Africa too much, North America's a mission field. Two blocks south and two blocks north and two blocks west and two blocks east. It is a mission field. And people are dying and going to hell. And it caused Jesus to weep. I pray to God that will help lead us to weep also. Spiritual blindness. And then the second passion we find beginning in verse number 45. I call it spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. Let me read to you a verse I referenced earlier. In James chapter 4, I'll read just a few scriptures. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet it and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You cannot be a friend of God and a friend of the world both. You have 
to choose, and so does the church. So does the church. Once again, the church is a movement about the kingdom of God. That's why the church can never, never, never be a country club. In fact, the church can't be any kind of club. The church is a living organism. It is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything we do must reflect two things. It must reflect our hatred for the things of the world and our love for the God who saved us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to. It has to. And what happens in verse number 45 is Jesus goes to church. And what He finds there causes Him to act violently. In a righteous way. Let's read it. The Bible says, After he saw and wept over the city, then he went into the temple. And he didn't bring them in. He drove them out. And the word drive out there in the Greek implies violence. We know that Jesus on the first cleansing took a cord and began to whip those who were there selling and trading in the temple area, in the court. So it implied, now I know you have a hard time with that perhaps, but it's, it's scriptural. It's there. He was angered in a righteous way at what he saw in church. And David, I wonder if he'd be angered sometime at us. I wonder if sometimes he'd be angered at we call, what we call church. I wonder. I wonder if people would go to some churches with a cord. I, I can say for certain this. I will not say it about Dorsville because I don't think it's true. But in some churches where ritual and religion rules, he would get his whip out. And in churches where they are so regimented that if you don't see the doxology first, then you can't have church, he would get the cord out. In a place where the Word of God is watered down to milk he would get the whip out. In a place where worship involves singing three hymns regardless of the heart, he would get the whip out. And he did. He got the whip out and he drove out those who bought and sold in. And I don't miss this. Don't miss this. Now, I'm going to be very candid and very clear of one thing. If you want to be biblical... The main problem here was not necessarily the buying or the selling, as you're going to see in just a moment. So many people use this as a justification for not even having a soda machine in church. That is not the context of the Scripture. I'm not saying we do have to have or don't have to have soda machines, but don't whip out Luke chapter 19 for the justification of removing a soda machine from church. That would be a misuse of God's Word. He makes it very clear what the problem was. He drove out those who bought and sold, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. My house, house of prayer, goes back to Isaiah 56, 7, and you've made a den of thieves, goes back to Jeremiah 7, 11. He's quoting the Old Testament there. And the problem was this. There's twofold. I, I read something tonight I'd never thought of before. I said, oh my goodness, Father, thank you for revealing that through a commentary. Because I'd never even thought about this before. I knew for the longest time. Here's what would take place. The pilgrims would come for Passover. And what they would do is the temple police, the temple leaders, had a certain coinage that you had to use to purchase in the temple. So we had a double whammy going on. 
First off, when you got to the temple, you would go to there to the money changer. And then you would change your currency, whatever it was, to temple money. And they would charge you a fee, a surcharge, and make a boatload of money. Then a thieves. They were robbing the people by the exorbitant rates that they charged for currency exchange. Then you'll walk over here and you get your pigeons or your, your ox or your lamb, whatever it might be, that you're using for sacrifice. And once again, for the convenience factor, they would overcharge you for the animal that you were purchasing. These merchants, the temple, first off, the temple police guys and the merchants were robbing the people. You've turned into a den of thieves, Jesus said. Then this. They had simplified the Passover sacrifice. Robbing the people of their opportunity and responsibility to worship authentically. A man could walk in there. The thought was this. Most people had some animals in those days. I mean, it would be weird for us, but they they did. Normally, a man would get his lamb or whatever, and he would raise that lamb up from a baby. He would go out to the herd that he had, it may be one, it may be four, it may be five, it may be a hundred, and he would pick a choice lamb for the sacrifice. But he would have a hand in raising that lamb. They replaced that. It made it more personal. It made it more, more expensive in a way of sacrifice. Instead now, you just go down to your friendly money changer and change your money, and, and then, then you come over here to your family lamb Walmart, and you get your lamb. No obligation, no trouble, simplified worship. That was never what God intended. God never intended for worship to be dumbed down to an easy ritual. He intends worship to almost be a a ringing out of all that we are before Him. An authentic praise and glorification of who He is. And these people had robbed the people. But Dwayne, what about the community? What if they lived a hundred miles away? Oh, oh, okay. Well, in that case, we'll dumb it down. No! It just made the sacrifice greater and more richer because as he carried that lamb on his shoulders, carried that pigeon in his cage, there, it just made the sacrifice greater. It enriched the worship. That's why when you give sacrificially, it enriches it. When we give in our, our abundance and our overflow, that's wonderful and it's easy. But when God calls us to give out of sacrifice, It becomes that sweet-smelling aroma, that alabaster perfume broken on the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. My fear is that we've dumbed down worship. We've almost, with 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 the professional holy men, that the way we determine, the way we lean on that as a church. Now, won't you know, me and Dave and Brent are very grateful for, for you supporting our families. I hope you don't have a deacon's meeting tonight, so we don't need all three of you. Y'all get out of here and we'll just do this gig. 
My point is this. You have a right to expect your pastor to say the Word of God and teach effectively. But that does not mean you don't need to say the Word of God. You have a right to expect the pastor to be on visitation Tuesday night. But that does not mean you don't need to be on Tuesday night. And that's probably too rigid. Let's step back from that. Because it doesn't matter if you do it on Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Sunday morning. Some of you go out during the day. But what, you should expect your pastor to share his faith. But that does not rob you of the responsibility of you sharing your faith. You, you have your right to expect a pastor who's a missionary. But that does not deprive you of you being a missionary. I love what Brent said this morning in the service. We sent missionaries out. And he wasn't talking about Molly. He was talking about the mines tomorrow. The schools tomorrow. The bank tomorrow. Primary care tomorrow. We're missionaries. And no professional holy man should deprive you or take that or should do it for you. It's no wonder we're so loose with Jesus because we don't have an investment. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But you need to find a lamb. Whether it be teaching, exhorting, singing, leading worship, the choir, I don't know. Working in the mercy corner, um, helping out in the Bible study, I don't know what it involves for you. But whatever it is, you've got to find a lamb. And you've got to raise that lamb up. And then you've got to bring it to God. Say, God, this is not for my glory. But it's for yours. And you've got to be willing to lay that lamp down on the altar and slay it for God's glory. This wasn't happening. They had dumbed worship down where it cost a few dollars and God never intended worship to cost a few dollars. Now, the Bible goes on and says, and he was teaching daily in the temple. He could have ran and hidden, waiting for them to find him. He didn't. He taught daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. And that probably shouldn't surprise you even based on what I just said about how they dumbed down worship. They had a system. And Jesus was rocking the system. That was the problem. People who used to listen to them were listening to him. People who used to follow them were now following him. They didn't like it. I love this. But the chief priests, the scribes, and leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything. Would you say that one, please? Unable to do anything. Why? For all the people were very attentive to hear him. One of the translations, I'm not sure if it's the Holman Christian Standard, ESV, but it's probably Holman Christian Standard, uses the word, the people were captivated by him. The Greek word, very attentive, translates to one, and it means this, to hang on to. As Jesus taught the Word, expounded the Word, and shared His philosophy and His life and His teachings of God, they hung to every word. And that simply stayed the hand of the leaders until God was ready. Here's what I wrote down. 
When the church becomes captivated by the Savior. When the church once again hangs on every word of the Word of God, then perhaps, just perhaps, the tide will turn. When the church becomes enamored, captivated by the Savior, maybe, just maybe, God will use us to impact this country in a way it needs to be deeply impacted. Maybe governments will change. Programs will change. Morality will change. Trends will change. Habits will change. Some businesses will close and new ones will be open. If the church will become enamored, captivated, hanging on every word of the Savior. And I bet you can guess something. That's not cheap. You can't do that with a few dollars. You can't do it with with 10% of the church doing 90% of the work and 10% of the people giving 90% of the offerings. You can't do that. That's that's why America's where she's at to some degree. No, no, you've got to raise the lamb. You've got to raise the lamb up and say, Jesus isn't a part of my world, Jesus is my world. And my best talents and my best time and my best abilities go to him and not some corporation who could care less when I die. No, they go to him. And I will bypass the money changers. And I will bypass the lamb Walmart. And I will go to the altar. And I will lay my sacrifice down. All the while saying, to God be the glory, great things. He has done. Would you bow your heads, please? I was really stirred when Ruth talked to me on the phone. Then she walked in and talked to Elaine and Sandy and then personally came into my office and I could overhear the conversation that she was telling Elaine and Sandy. And a large chunk of that conversation was something like this. First off, she was trying to blame herself for where her son is, of which I assured her that blame did not belong there. He's making his own choices. But she said, but Dwayne, I wasn't with God. I said, no, and you can't change that. But the choices he's making are the choices he's making. But here's what stirred me. I watched her eyes water up as she spoke of the lostness of her son. She truly realizes while he has a problem with alcohol, he has a greater problem. He is lost and in danger of going to hell. And she weeps. I just pray, she said in a broken voice, that God would send someone to share Jesus with my son and that he would listen. I was enamored with that story because a mother's heart was broken just like Jesus' heart was broken over the lostness in her world. Would you be willing tonight 
to get into the sheep business. I guess we could say the pigeon business, but sheep sounds better. Would you be willing to raise a lamb? I don't know, you know, you may sit and say, well, Dwayne, my plate's full, and it probably is because some of you do so much here, but, but some of you have got some time, and you need a responsibility in the church. And I don't know if it's being an usher, a smiling face at the door, shaking hands, manning the welcome counter, helping Brent with Monday meals, helping Wednesday nights, oh my goodness, they need help. I don't know what it is. But would you be willing to get a lamb tonight? And would you be willing to raise that lamb, feed it, nurture it? And then would you be willing daily or weekly or monthly to just give it to God and say, God, this is for your glory. Would you be willing to be so captivated by the Savior to hang on every word of God that the hand of evil was stymied? Stopped because of the power of a group of believers enamored with the God, the Savior they love? Wow. Think about that. I don't know what God wants to do tonight. This is twice God surprised me. He surprised me this morning and He surprised me tonight. I feel the presence of God here. I feel that Jesus is passing by tonight. And he is challenging us to authentic worship. He's challenged us to get involved in kingdom work. He's challenged us to be a part of the movement of God. And I guess we'll have Dave sing and, and we'll let you be seated even. Because you want you to make the altars open, of course. Please understand, always, these altars are open. But maybe you just kind of want to lean forward and just spend some time with God right there. Talk about who who in your life do you need to be broken over? And and what's your lamb? Mm-hmm.